Wasn't sure you would. Wasn't sure any of us would. Life, though, life sure does find a way, doesn't it? A way to keep going. You know, it's funny. We always worry so much about things ending. Like that's the worst thing that could ever happen to us. We take for granted every year that we get to leave a lot of stuff behind us as the holidays wrap up. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? I mean, some old shit, at least till this time next year. But science tells us that's not quite how inertia works. Objects have a tendency to keep moving in a straight line at a constant speed when no forces act upon them. How naive we were to think that Christmas music would be any different this year. They're calling the phenomena the continuation I'm assuming it's back, wherever you're listening to me right now, if it ever really left your area at all. At this point, you're seeing all the jumpers and the looting and the smashed-up synthesizers. We don't know where it's coming from, who's singing it, if it's, if it's even being sung at all. Maybe it's in our heads. It sounds like Paul McCartney, sure, but would Sir Paul McCartney ever really have written a song that goddamn awful? Or does it make more sense that all this time, it was your dumbass, my dumbass, all our dumb butts and asses making that shit up in our heads? Now, I'm not trying to gaslight anybody, I'm just saying, were you a Beatle? Nah, we're insane people, and our insane people brains wrote this insane people song. Chant, really. I mean, if anything, we should be collecting royalties. Ah, but it's in our minds. And we're in hell. Double whammy. Ah, but that doesn't explain all of it, does it? Not Mariah Carey. I mean, I definitely didn't write this one. F*** no. Oh, not no. Sorry, I, I definitely didn't write this one. No one wrote this one. This it was natural origin. This is the world we live in now. A nightmarish, post-apocalyptic Amy Grant fever dream. And, and if you decide to check out early, I'd understand. I really would. But friends, I would advise you to hold out just a little longer. Because we still have each other. And we still have the Drabblecast. For this brief little window of your week here, you and I are able to escape the Stygian holiday hellscape we now find ourselves trapped in, if but just for a little while, and listen to some awesome, weird, and wonderful speculative fiction. Escape with me now, friends. Let's just close the world out for a moment, and... Ah! <laughs> it looks like that just bought us a few minutes of... Wait, why didn't... This is a recording studio. Why did I even have that open? Birds and shit out there. Mariah Carey's out there? Alright. Well, anyways, in addition to the continuation, we got a little behind schedule there on the Drabblecast last month. As you can tell, it's all these global manufacturing and shipping issues we're still having. You might have guessed. Gas, electronics, new and used vehicles, Drabblecast. It's, it is what it is, though. 
We're going to get back on track here with Lovecraft Month, the 1st of January. But to close out 2000 and whatever it is this year, we got something special for you. The annual Tim Pratt Travelcast Holiday Special. I don't know how many years we've been doing this now, but it's been a lot. We've always loved Tim's stories here, and so have you. So every year we ask him to write a story for us, and every year he writes us something fucked up and awesome in that perfectly Tim Pratt kind of way. And this year that fucked up and awesome something is a little story called How Lovely Are Your Branches. Drabblecast fans might recognize the main character of this story from a previous Drabblecast holiday special, episode 420, Comfort and Joy. Good times. Tim Pratt lives in Berkeley, California, with his wife, Heather Shaw, and their son, River. His fiction and poetry has appeared in the Best American Short Stories, The Year's Best Fantasy and Horror, Strange Horizons, Asimov's, Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet, Subterranean, Tor, Travelcast, and other places. He writes a new story every month for his patrons at patreon.com slash timpratt, and it's great. Go check it out. All right, without further ado, we bring you How Lovely Are Your Branches? by Tim Pratt. How Lovely Are Your Branches by Tim Pratt Somebody was murdering people, but the killer's name wasn't showing up on my naughty list. That got me curious, so I poked around. There was nothing left at the crime scene but dollops of sap and scattered pine needles, which felt less like sloppiness and more like a signature. I was in New York trying to track down the killer, but first, I needed a drink. The bartender, who'd had a beer to rival mine, rolled his eyes. I'm telling you, we don't have eggnog. I sighed. Just check the fridge. I was one of those bars with reclaimed wood everything and unshaded Edison bulbs dangling from the ceiling at random intervals, called Antler and Branch, or Shard and Stone, or something like that. Not divey enough for my tastes, but I wasn't here for comfort. I was meeting a witness. The bartender made a big show of bending down and looking around, and then came up, frowning, holding a frosty pitcher. Huh, somebody else must have made this. I didn't know. Sorry. Not a problem. Just don't skimp on the bourbon. There's always eggnog when I want it. One of the perks of being me. I took my drink and swiveled on the stool. My witness was in a corner booth, alone, brooding over a cut glass decanter. He seemed drunk enough to say things he might regret later. I went over and slid into the seat beside him, sucking in my belly so I wouldn't jostle the table. How are you? I said. He barely lifted his eyes. He had dark hair, dark eyes, a pinched mouth, and he looked like a complainer. But even so, he was on my nice list. He had a misanthropic streak, but he had a good heart. Sorry, he said. Normally the whole Santa daddy bear thing would intrigue me, but I had a crap day, and I just want to drink alone. The cops didn't believe your story. He leaned back now. Are you a reporter? I shook my head. Name's Bishop. I'm in private security. That was sort of almost true. I've been investigating some murders and assaults, and I think your story might be related. He laughed, mirthlessly. I saw a Christmas tree attack someone. Or a guy dressed up like a Christmas tree, obviously, but you're investigating that? I sipped my nog. I have just one question. How was the tree decorated? The witness frowned. It didn't have ornaments or lights or anything on it, if that's what you mean. No angel on top. 
What made you call it a Christmas tree, then? The shape? I sketched a triangle in the air with my hands. He looked thoughtful. No, it was honestly kind of a mess, branches sticking out all over, but it was pine, and I guess there was this sort of garland wrapped around it, though? Color? Mmm, red and green stripes. It was dark in the alley, but yeah. He tapped the side of his glass. There were Christmas things on the garland. Snowflakes, maybe candy canes? I don't know. That fit. I hate being right. Thanks, I'll pay your tab. I started to rise, and he grabbed my wrist. So I'm not crazy? You know who did this? Let's just say I know how they're doing it, and that's a start. You've been a great help. I disentangled myself and settled back down at the end of the bar. I closed my eyes and expanded my vision. I'm not actually all-seeing. All I can see is people, and even them I have to make the effort to look. I cast my roving eye across the city, but I didn't see murderous Christmas trees in the vicinity of anyone. I opened my eyes, and the timing was good because I got to see someone special in person. Dawn walked into the bar. It was mid-afternoon in New York, so she wasn't at her brightest, but her dress was the color of burnished gold and her eyes were shining. She's a morning person. Technically, she's a sun god, and I mostly work at nights, so our relationship is a little tricky, but we make things work. She slid under the stool next to mine, and I caught the bartender's eye. She'll have a tequila sunrise. Dawn took my hand in hers. It was warm. Why are you in New York, Bishop? Ah, you know, I thought I'd sit on the big chair at Macy's, or maybe ring a bell in the doorway for a bit. You know you can talk to me, she said. I can handle the darkness. I push it back every day. Talking to her always helped me figure things out. There's some weird stuff in the world, Dawn. One of the weirder things is this scarf, about six feet long. It changes color and design, but these days it's red and green, patterned with reindeer and snowmen and holly leaves and mistletoe. Nobody knows where it came from. The most plausible theory I've heard says a sorcerer got hold of some snipped-off threads from the skein of fates and wove those into the scarf. But who knows? What matters is what the scarf does. Strangle people to death? She gasped. Maybe indirectly. If you wrap the scarf around anything at least vaguely human-shaped, that figure comes to life, or a semblance of life, to do your bidding. One guy used it to animate a statue of a woman once, and actually married her. Some kids back in the fifties found the scarf and used it to make a snowman come to life and dance around, and it was fine because they just wanted a playmate. The scarf got lost after that, and nobody's seen it since. Yeah, I heard it was a hat. A hangdog man, a couple of seats down the bar, gestured at the top of his head. Magic hat. Brought a snowman to life. There's a song about it. I gave him my most lump of coal stare. You believe everything you hear in a song? There's a song that says I'm jolly. Do I look fucking jolly to you? <laughs> I seen jollier, the guy muttered and slouched away. I turned back to Dawn. I think somebody's used a scarf to animate a creature made out of pine branches, which seems like a deliberate provocation to me. That creature is killing people on my naughty list. Taking out your intended victims before you get to them? Dawn said. I'm afraid not. Some years ago, I retired from giving gifts to good children and began to focus on giving justice to bad adults, using my abilities to slow time, to enter any residence, to fly on my sleigh, to make sure those who preyed on people, especially children, couldn't prey on anyone ever again. 
I hunt people on the naughty list, sure, but I take out serial killers and violent offenders. This murderer is killing people who shoplift or steal from the stockroom at work or cheat on their wives or taxes. Worse, whoever it was found a way to hide from me. They aren't doing the killing. Their animated tree thing is, and that magic screws with my vision. The bad guy isn't on my naughty list because they aren't doing the killing personally, and the tree isn't a person, so I can't see it with my special vision. But now you have a lead. I shrugged. I've confirmed my theory that the scarf is involved. The killings have all happened in Manhattan so far, one every day since December 6th, so I cocked my head. My traveling eye had been passively scanning, and it saw something. A tree in Central Park, but this one was moving, creeping up on a woman out for a run. She was on my list. She scammed people on auction sites to supplement her income. Lump of coal-worthy, but not a killing offense. Gotta go. I kissed Dawn's cheek, and she patted mine and told me to be safe. Rudy was waiting for me around back in the alley, head down in a garbage can. Come on, girl. My sleigh is painted black. There are no bells on it anymore, and no one sees it unless I want them to. I took the reins and Rudy lifted off. We cruised across the city, past tall buildings and over plazas and squares, unseen by the afternoon crowd of shoppers, commuters, and tourists below. There wasn't snow on the ground yet, but it would be along in a few weeks, and it was plenty cold. That's okay. I like the cold. I embrace it. We settled down in Central Park. The runner was rounding a bend on a deserted stretch of trail, and the tree thing was moving to cut her off. I leapt off the sleigh and slowed time so I could intercept it. A memory rose up deep in my mind, one of the exploits of St. Nicholas of Myra. I'm a creature composed of stories, and I never know which ones are true, but the tales of St. Nicholas run strong in me, and there was an account of him using an axe to frighten demons out of a cypress tree. I wished I had an axe. I settled for my enchanted carving knives instead, one in each hand. The creature was roughly humanoid, made of lashed-together bows that gave it legs and four arms, each with a multi-fingered hand, talons made of sharpened wooden stakes tempered by fire. Its head was conical, like the shape of a Christmas tree, and my witness was wrong. The thing did have ornaments on it, a pair of red glass baubles that served as eyes. The scarf was there, too, wrapped around the thing's neck, one tasseled end of it dripping with blood. The tree came at me with its claws extended, driven by the rage or cruelty of its unknown controller, twenty blackened spikes reaching out to pierce my eyes and my belly. But, come on, it was a tree. My boots are heavy, and I kicked the thing into splinters, branches snapping and popping, and I slashed out with my knives, severing its reaching claws. Those blades mostly cut flesh and bone nowadays, but they were made to slice through wood. I took the thing apart, and when it fell, I crushed the baubles together with my heels. Then I sighed and picked up the fragments so no kid playing in the park would cut themselves. I unwound the scarf from the twitching mass of branches, and it stopped twitching. I looked around, and the jogger was gone. She never even knew how close she came to getting staked through the heart. I carried the scarf, sticky with sap and blood, over to Rudy and held it up to her snout. Rudy is the only reindeer who came with me when I left the North Pole, and her nose is good for lots more than just lighting the way. There was no better tracker in the North, 
Rudy took a deep sniff of the scarf, then jerked her head south. I climbed into the sleigh behind her. We coursed silently across the city and off Manhattan Island, passing above a bridge as the skies grew dark. We settled down in Prospect Park in Brooklyn, near the old well house. I had a vague memory of scaring demons out of a well once, too. I stowed the sleigh in the trees and fed Rudy a candy cane. She dipped her antlers in the direction of Lookout Hill. That seemed symbolic, too, since I am the ultimate lookout, in a way. But maybe I was just feeling overly mythic that day. I went into the trees, knives in hand, and caught the scent, thick, pungent, goaty. I knew who I'd find even before I found him, seated on a fallen log, birch staves across his hairy knees, hands tipped with blackened nails, long tongue lolling, long horns curling. K, I said. Over the years I've had a lot of companions, Bell Snickel, Ruprecht, Peter, the elves, and K, of course. Krampus, the dark figure who doled out punishments to the bad children or even carried them away. I'd noticed him growing more popular in recent years, going from a regional oddity to the subject of books and films and pageants and parades. Nowhere near as famous as me, of course, in my various incantations. But still, he was growing stronger, and he'd use his new strength to kill. Why, Kay? Why murder shoplifters? Krampus rose, leather harness creaking, black iron bells jingling. He pointed at me with a twisted finger. You did this, he rumbled. I am the dark side of you. You are the open hand, and I am the closed fist. You are reward, and I am punishment. But then, then you became dark. You took up your knives. You hunted evil people and killed them. What then is my new purpose, defined always in relation to you? Kay spread his hands wide. I had to change myself to fit. If you punished people, I had to punish people more and worse for lesser crimes. Kay, that's... I wanted to say it was insane, but I could see the logic. If your role is to be a villain to my hero, what do you do when I turn into, at best, an anti-hero? Why the scarf? Why not do your own dirty work? I knew you would oppose me, Kay said. I did not think you would find me so swiftly. You have acquired new skills in your new work. He set his birch staves aside and stood with dignity. Now I, I suppose I am on your naughty list, and you will slay me with your knives. I sheathed the blades. We were never enemies, Kay. Maybe, maybe we can work something out. You would have me serve you again. I couldn't tell if Kay sounded hopeful about that or disdainful. My knives are enchanted, I said. I named them Comfort and Joy. The touch of comfort makes you feel at peace, and the blade of joy reminds you of your happiest moment, even if that moment is one ordinary people would find horribly vile. The people I dispatch don't feel any pain. They die as happy as they'd ever been. I've often wished I could be a little more cruel and make people feel some of the suffering they've inflicted on others. I've never been able to bring myself to go that far. If I did that, I'm afraid I'd stop being me in some fundamental way. I can be cruel, Kay said. I can deliver suffering. I thought about one of the targets I'd been contemplating. 
There was an island owned by a billionaire who brought his millionaire buddies in for parties that weren't what I'd call festive. A lot of people got hurt, humiliated, and even sometimes died there. I imagined flying low over that island, skimming over the mansion and letting Krampus jump off the back of the sleigh. I pictured him landing in the middle of one of that monster's garden parties, bells ringing, tongue lolling, branches whipping, and chains lashing, and I couldn't help myself. I shook with laughter. I tried to tell myself that Dawn would approve. I could outsource my darker impulses, and that would make me brighter myself, right? Just like when Krampus used a magic scarf to kill people, it was still ultimately Kay causing the deaths. I could outsource my darker impulses, and that would make me brighter myself, right? But I didn't really buy it. Just like when Krampus used a magic scarf to kill people, it was still ultimately Kay causing the deaths. Maybe I'd regret it all in the morning. But for now, it was night, and my nights could be as long as they needed to be. Come on, Kay, I said. Let's go make merry. And that was our story. Hope it made you merry. All right, folks. Well, it's been a it's been a year, so um, wish you all a. A good new year uh, coming up. Oh, shit. You hear that, right? What's happening? What's happening? No. This week was brought to you by Bo Kyer, our art director, who, who also did our art this week. Uh, good job, Bo. Thanks. Check him out on the internet. Uh, Sandro Dell, Tom Baker, Jason Cavella, Jason Smith, Jen Fisher. Um, I also just say something funny here. Um, a blue guy playing some drums with his friends. That's oh, the Blue Man Group. Yeah, uh, Jason's someone, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you. What was I remind? It, it doesn't matter, does it? Oh,